Hello and welcome to another episode of About the Avenger podcast. I am your host, Sarah Lister. My guest is polar girl Helen Turton, who is the manager for Newland Expeditions, which specialises in guided ski expeditions. During our interview, I asked Helen why she chose this career path, how she made the transition from her previous work, and what approach she takes towards handling tricky situations. Make sure you listen right to the end because Helen has a question for you to take away and think about. Today we're recording along Grindsbrook on a chilly autumn morning in the Peak District. Welcome to the show, Helen. Thank you. Why do you choose to manage an expedition company and lead expeditions as your main source of work? Um, It's quite an easy one, really. I want to share my passion. Um, I want to help other people, to teach them, to encourage them, uh, inspire and, and hopefully to sort of empower them. Um, so that they will go on to want to explore, um, I suppose, more remote parts of the world. It could be described as, yeah. So I like to work in my extreme location classroom, really, whether it be North Pole, South Pole, Greenland, Svalbard or Norway in winter. Um, I was totalling up the other day, actually. I think I've, I've led on about 80 expeditions overseas now, um, which is a great sort of breadth of experience, but I'm still learning. And I think that's the key thing. You know, if you're if you're instructing or you're teaching and and you're wanting to um, share that with other people, then you also have to be willing to listen to them and to learn from them. So, as a as an adventurer, um, what's it been like spending the last few months here in the Peak District? Um, <laughs> it should have driven me up the wall, but it hasn't because as soon as we knew that our winter season was pretty much dashed for 2020. Um, it's just about getting into the right mindset. So, you know, have your porridge for your breakfast, do a few exercises, go for a daily walk. Um, and if it helps, you know, I said to some of the participants whose trips have been cancelled, I said, well, sit in your room with your big down jacket on and your, you know, um, goggles and your and your balaclava and, and feel like you're still on an expedition. I think you can make the situation what you want. And of course, the beauty that we have, Sarah, is that this fantastic peak district is our back doorstep so um, I've never taken it for granted I've always been brought up here I used to go walking on these hills that I'm now looking at at the top of Kinder Scout the start of the old Pennine Way and I was up there when I was two three years old you know and a few years later (laughs) you know I'm still very regularly exploring the back doorstep but maybe having even more of an appreciation for it after this this year are you hoping for some snow this winter? Oh, I'm always hoping for snow. <laughs> I'll be climbing in my freezer if there isn't snow on the ground soon. <laughs> yeah, love snow. <laughs> and how did you make the transition from working for Nottingham County Council to becoming an expedition leader? Um, in some ways, it would be seen as sort of a similar job because uh, I was managing an outdoor residential base. I'd started off after my first degree as a classroom teacher. Um, but with my degree subjects in geography and geology, I always had a love of the outdoors. And so my students of five and six years old at that time would generally be found outdoors more than indoors in my particular classroom. Um, I then moved into working in an outdoor and environmental education in Nottinghamshire just at the right time, I felt, when there was some amazing and inspiring people around me. And, and you know, that's, that was just a great step. So uh, I always remember the day I was appointed as um, 
the head of the, the day visit centres from Nottinghamshire and John Pearce, who was head of the overall um, service at that time, said, if you get a better offer tomorrow, take it. He said, you know, take opportunities that life presents your way. Um, and my direct boss, Pippa Manson, was always very, very supportive in terms of encouraging um, and yet also being sort of supportive. So it's sort of like just pushing the boundaries very slightly in the right direction the whole time. Um, so, yeah, I, I had some good people around me at that time. Um, but sometimes the world doesn't prevent enough challenges for me and then I have to go and seek a bit more challenge. <laughs> so, so I then um, started to lead on expeditions overseas. I had quite a few different opportunities working for other companies as an expedition leader. Often working with a more senior leader as well. So my great friend Pat Parsons, who was the chief expedition leader of our team when we went down to South Georgia in the Falkland Islands. And that expedition in particular with those young people will just stick with me forever. In fact, I was with Pat yesterday and we were saying about how many of those young people have gone on to do such awe-inspiring um, life-changing expeditions themselves you know and, and themselves inspiring others and that's what it's about I suppose life as a teacher you know you're passionate about um, teaching others so that they can teach others it's that old you know you you can teach someone to fish and you're going to feed them for life you know as opposed to feeding them a fish um, I then went on though to also leading expeditions and and doing some more of the management side of things so planning the actual expedition and working out the logistics and and that can be quite difficult when you have for example a team of seven students who have complex physical um, needs and learning difficulties um, and we took them to Iceland this was a group of seven students almost all um, who were wheelchair users and we took them up onto a glacier because their aim for that expedition or one of them was to have a snowball fight in the middle of summer and we said somehow there's a way somehow we'll make it happen and I suppose that led into the work that I now do as an expedition manager and and also an expedition leader uh, at times. Did any initial worries or concerns about making a career change actually happen during the experience? Oh gosh, yeah, loads, <laughs> absolutely loads. Um, I like to always think about it as being more of a career extension as opposed to a career change. So I went a little bit round the houses when I'd, um, I resigned from the, the job running the, uh, being head of the outdoor residential base. And that was a hugely difficult decision to make because nobody was pushing me out. Nobody was making me redundant. Certainly nobody was paying for me to go. And yet something inside me was saying it's the right time and the right opportunity to move on to something else. And I've always been quite self-driven, I suppose, like that. Um, but that's a huge, huge step, certainly in terms of just money security. You know, I was thinking like, is, is this really being stupid? Is this being silly? And I would often talk very much in the early days with my, my business colleague, now who I work with, Svanta, and saying, maybe I've given up too much. You know, I've, I gave up the sort of the job security and the pension and oh, all these other phrases that used to be so traditional in the way that people were employed. And he would say, yeah, but Helen, you know, you've been to North Pole five times and you've been to South Pole a couple of times and you've been across Greenland a couple of times and, and you wouldn't have done many of these things if you had a full-time job that you had. And he's, he's dead right, you know, so you have to make the choices. 
but it's a little bit at the time I always I could still imagine that that discussion with um, with my boss at the time and saying it feels like there's a huge crevasse in front of me and I want to take a few little tiny steps but I know I can't I know I've just got to launch into it and hope that it works out and of course you know I had got my sensible head on and had planned you know the what ifs beforehand but um, yeah there, there were many many uh, worries and concerns and there still are you know that that's life really I suppose it's how you how you manage risk and that's that's one of the risks in life isn't it that you can get so concerned and so worried that you end up doing nothing which of your qualifications have been the most useful to you throughout your career so far if you could have a qualification from the university of life skills i'd say it was that it's uh, yeah if you've got common sense you've got good communication skills and i think self-belief does come into it a lot you know to have a can-do attitude to say somehow there's a way somehow we're going to make this work but in terms of formal qualifications i know what you're intimating um so in the outdoors, the UK industry especially is quite um, governed by outdoor qualifications as a measure of competency. And so the, the certificates that I have that I suppose have been most relevant have been my summer mountain leader, my winter mountain leader and my Basie um, ski instructor qualification, Nordic ski instructor. Um, and those are, to some extent, it's a little bit like a sort of rites of passage it also, I think, gives confidence to some people who we're working with that you have been through some sort of formalised education and training in the outdoors to demonstrate your competency. Um, but very much, uh, I know that, uh, I suppose, the most useful thing is what I'm learning the whole time. And it's that building up your skill level as you're dealing with different weather conditions, different people, different logistics there's always going to be something that doesn't quite go to plan. <laughs> so when you have taken on these courses and when you've been doing these qualifications, how did you feel before you actually took them on? Were you nervous? Were you, sh you know, were you shy? Were you at the, you know, at the back of the class kind of hiding or were you up front and, you know, just willing to learn? Yeah. Because I think sometimes if you're new to this, then it, it can be quite daunting or overwhelming, mm. where, especially if there's other people in the group who are maybe more experienced or yes. more advanced. So what was the actual experience like for you? So the summer mountain leader was very definitely um, one where I felt more in my comfort zone, I suppose. As I say, from a very early age, you know, mum and dad dad especially would take us hiking in the alps you know scrambling across these rocks that i can see now up on kinder scout um you you get misplaced or lost as you want to call it and then you'd refind yourself and and i felt i felt confident in that sort of environment but i knew that there were still things that i had to learn especially with regards to for example the rope work that was involved in summer ml i'm not i'm not a climber you know i would never profess to be at all um but yeah so there were there were elements of that that i i was uncertain about but overall i felt more content about the summer ml and about going for the assessment at the time i was in a job where almost every day of the week i was able to get out and experience something that would count towards my, my logbook competency and that must be very difficult for people if they live in other parts of the country where they haven't got this sort of terrain on their doorstep 
Um, and I, I found that out when I did my winter mountain leader. So I was then backwards and forwards up to Scotland and back because it is actually a Scottish mountain leader training award. And I drove, I can still remember to the day again, I drove across Rannoch Moor towards the start of the course. And honestly, in my mind, I thought I'm going to be dead at the end of this week. There's no way I can survive this course. You know, it's so extreme, you know, to be sleeping in a snow hole high up on a mountain and to up the ante yet again with the rope work and to involve snow this time and ice and crampons and ice axes. And it was all getting a bit too more technical. But of course, six days later, and I'm driving back across Rannoch Moor and saying, whoa, I can do this. And that was down to the instructor that we'd had, you know, who really empowered me, you know, to sort of say, it is possible. You are going to have to work a lot. You are going to have to do a lot of traveling backwards and forwards to gain the experience. Um, and I think that's the one phrase I use so many, many times when I, when I work with participants working towards a big expedition, when I'm working with perhaps just friends training towards outdoor qualifications and, and giving them a bit of you know extra training if they want it night navigation or whatever to say there really is no shortcut to experience you know people often want to take the easiest route but in the outdoors I think at some point that will catch you out and and I really hope that it doesn't catch people out you know I'd never want to wish that on anyone but it's about building that experience over time after time after time and you may not ever use that experience for many many trips and then suddenly out the blue you need to call and draw on all of those past competences and skills and so that's not just the qualification that's also the the personal experiences that you've had um, as a client as a participant as a manager as a guide solo trips whatever you've already touched on this a little bit is there anything else that you've really pushed yourself with to do as a way of pursuing your career path? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I suppose the, the, the question I'm often asked is like, um, how on earth do you ski to the South Pole when it costs so much and you couldn't even ski, you know, like less than 20 years ago? And I always describe it, and I still describe it this way to young people as well, that the, the problem is like the elephant, you know, and you just have to chip away at it and one little bite at a time and you'll get there you know if you really really want that as you, your goal so it's very easy for people to say oh yeah you know I, I was going to I was going to climb Everest I was going to ski to the North Pole or I was going to do whatever it might be but the first thing is to actually move yourself off the sofa and settee and probably the next thing is to actually recognize the things that you're going to have to go without so time isn't limitless we do have a you know a limited number of hours minutes days on this planet and how you choose to use them you know is is very important I think and so I gave up time from sometimes meeting with friends or going out for a meal or other holidays which you could describe as a real holiday although I describe all my trips as holidays <laughs> um, because I want to be there you know <laughs> but um yeah, you, you sometimes have to give up time to train, to become fit. You have to spend more money than perhaps you'd ever imagined you would spend on some of these expeditions to gain that experience. But, but that's hopefully what the bonus is now for people who participate in any of the expeditions that I lead or, or guide or plan. Sounds like it's a whole lifestyle for you. Yeah, very, very much so. Very much so, yes. 
would you have it any other way? No, no, I wouldn't. I, I definitely have no regrets in terms of how I've... Um, sometimes I, I sort of think, you know, people often describe uh, the situation as saying, oh, well, you know, you have to be really lucky to do these things. And there are some things where I can say I've been very fortunate. You know, I've been very fortunate to have parents who took me rambling and scrambling over the hills. Um, you know, I've been very fortunate to be in a work position where I was surrounded by some amazing and excellent, highly qualified people. I was just there at the right time. That was, to some extent, a sort of luck. But a lot of the rest of the fortune, I, I believe, is very much down to what you make it. Do you think that what you're doing now connects with what you imagined you would do when you were when you were really young? <laughs> um, in some ways, yes, because uh, I never knew my granny. She died before I was born. But my granny Ada went on the QE2 on the first crossing over the Atlantic, and then my auntie, who emigrated to Canada for ten years, so I never really sort of know that well. Um, was very much of a traveller and adventurer. And I think that's, that's in my roots. I think that's in my genes. And I never really appreciated how much it was. But the ability to make that into um, what has become, I suppose, my career is just amazing. So as I mentioned with the quote um, earlier, Sarah, I live by this saying, this is your life, do what you love and do it often and with a smile on your face. Um, and in fact, I've got it on my thermal top underneath my jumper that I'm wearing today because it's our motto for Newland Expeditions, the, the company that I manage. Um, it actually says, life is happening now. And on the back of the jumper, it says, live it. And I strongly believe like that, you know, that it's, it's about making the making the opportunities count if an opportunity comes your way then take it because you know there's there's only a limited amount of time on this planet <laughs> what would you say to somebody who is really inspired by that quote and what you're saying but they don't they don't know what they love you know maybe people who are feeling a little bit lost and they feel like they don't really have or they haven't discovered their true passion in life, whether it's just in life mm. and hobbies or whether it's career. Mm. How did you find out that this is something that you love doing? Mm. Um, I, think, I think you take inspiration sometimes from situations that are different from the norm. So you start to then move outside of your comfort zone and if you always stay in your comfort zone it's like you know you'll always get what you've always got um but if you if you start to move a bit further afield then you'll start to see that there's new opportunities and certainly in my life i've seen that you open one door a little bit and often then it's almost like tumbleweed it's like another door opens and another door opens and another door opens and and you could never even have imagined of that at the start um, another great friend of mine Ewan who now lives over in Norway is married to a Norwegian lady took me skiing one morning and I still remember this little picture that he drew in the snow and it was his interpretation of this book called The Road Less Travelled and he said when you get to this junction this point here in life you can either stay at that junction forevermore 
or you can explore and you can take that option or that option. As soon as you've left that spot and gone down one of those other routes, you'll never actually be back at that same exact spot again because you've already moved yourself on to something else. So I suppose it's about, it's about taking the life risks, isn't it? It's about taking that step a little bit more into the unknown and, and that comes back to the crevasse story. So some people will be happy to take a giant leap as I was at that stage in my life. It, it was the right time then. Um, but I probably wouldn't have taken that same huge, giant career extension step if I'd just been coming out of university. You know, I'd have to sort of have built up to that. So the more things you try, the more things you'll find that you love, as well as things that perhaps you can just forget. <laughs> so in terms of expeditions, uh, I just have such a passion for snow. Snow and ice and cold weather are completely and utterly my home comfort zone so I pushed the, de uh, the doors myself and when I was doing um, a Winston Churchill traveling fellowship that I was awarded a few years ago uh, I specifically opted for an expedition which included um, touring through the desert it was actually a, a first to walk along the skeleton coast in Namibia with a team of people it was organized by another company um, and that was strange yeah, I kept calling sand snow the whole time and I said you know what there are similarities. It reaches the same angle of slope and then it all starts to slide off. But the, the sand wasn't really my friend at the end of the day, but I've tried it. You know, I, I, I know that heat and sand aren't really my favoured environments. And I suppose my passion for the cold, well, oh, well, that comes from, um, I suppose, many years ago, always going to the Alps when I was young, from about the age of six or seven, we would go hiking in the Alps in the summertime. We never went skiing with my parents. Uh, never had the opportunity to go skiing at school. So that was a, a last minute sort of opportunity almost that came at, a bit by default, you know. So there was foot and mouth disease in 2001 and it closed all of the countryside in the UK. I was running this residential outdoor centre at the time for Nottinghamshire County Council and working towards my winter mountain leader award and the whole of Scotland just closed overnight and there were taped off routes on, on paths and you weren't allowed anywhere. And I suddenly then appreciated how much I'd taken this great outdoors for granted. Um, yeah, I, I, just, I just love, love to be in the snow. Um, and then a, a step further on was that I played my flute um, at a friend's wedding and she was marrying a guy who was a missionary to the Canadian Inuits and he was based up high up on the northern coastline of Canada along by the Alaska border, the Mackenzie Delta, in a tiny little place called Tuktoyaktuk. And we looked out from Tuktoyaktuk and she said, the only thing you can see up there is North Pole. I was like, really? There's nothing else in between us and the North Pole? And we were many, many kilometers from the North Pole at that point. But uh, that, that links in with another inspiration I always, always mention when I give the, the polar talks that I, I give in schools and to other people to, to try and bring that environment to life. I used to look at the front two pages in the Atlas, the Arctic and the Antarctic, and I was just fascinated by, can people actually live in those environments? Can they actually survive? And of course, having been there now, 
quite a few times. Yeah, they can. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's almost like we call it the polar bug. You know, you get this this bug in your system and you just want to go back for more and more. I mean, when when it snows in this country, I'm just leaping around like a five-year-old, like, whoa, it's snowing. <laughs> There's something that just brings me alive with snow and cold weather. Probably gone completely off the point there. <laughs> no, not at all. You've answered, I think, my next two questions, which is great. <laughs> um, have you had to make any sacrifices in your life because of your work and travel? <laughs> yes, again, many. Um, so many in terms of finance. So often people say, oh, well, I can't afford to do, do that trip. You know, will you give me a discount? Well, actually, this is my livelihood now. It would be a little bit like me saying, if you run um, a petrol station and I go to you and say, oh, well, you know, will, will you do me a favor? Will you give me a, a discount off my, off my petrol? I've put a lot of time and effort, a lot of my own savings into learning a lot of these skills, you know, that has now formulated, I suppose, who I am and, and partly how the company is, because it's only part my business. I, I share it with my Norwegian colleague. Um, but you do have to make sacrifices, yes. You do have to sacrifice time with friends to go out to perhaps train. Um, you have to sacrifice spending money, perhaps on going out drinking or going out for a meal or, or whatever else it might be. And I would say, life isn't handed to you on a plate, unless you're very, very lucky. Um, don't wait for the luck. Make it happen yourself, yeah? Make your dreams happen now. Believe in your dreams, and you're the one who's got to make them happen. I think it's interesting sometimes how you can feel very attached to things, you know, homely <laughs> things. Um, and I always felt like I couldn't make any big changes because of my attachment to my CD collections and my books and that I would always have to carry that with me wherever I went but actually when I decided to just get rid of all of that and detach from it I just felt this real sense of freedom I didn't have to carry all of that with me every time mm. that I moved anywhere yeah and the freedom of that was amazing initially I feared it I didn't even think about letting go of that stuff mm. but now I don't even think about it it's it's gone and I'm spending much more time outside and I can still listen to music and and read books just you know in a different way mm. so yeah I, I can see what you mean it's sometimes just an adjustment in thinking and yes. then I mean they weren't huge sacrifices or anything but they did feel like sacrifices at the time mm. Mm. but they were holding me back mm. Mm. and when we go on expedition and everything we have to take with us is in a pulk in a sledge behind us and we pull it pull it along with us you think about multi-uses of everything and very definitely there are so many things that you don't need to take we think we have needs but it's actually wants you know we we don't need a lot of these the, these things we can we can manage without and we can manage for 30 40 days with what we've got in our sledge and we're dragging that weight behind us. And then you think seriously about every single item that you're taking, cutting labels out of clothes and sawing toothbrushes in half and all of that sort of thing. But yes, the, the items thing is, has been very much in the forefront of my mind the past few years as my dad passed away. And then we, we obviously had to um, get rid of the, the things that were his personal items. And then now clearing the house um, ready for sale as my mum has... Um, 
moved in with my brother um, because of her frailty. And you look at all of these objects and the objects don't carry the, the meanings and the, and the moments and the memories. It's, the, it's what we've done. So things, things and stuff is just <laughs> bottom of the pile very definitely in my life, very, very definitely uh, now. It's, yeah, it's about experiences and shared experiences with people and sometimes it's about solo experiences, you know, and it's about having that time and solitude and, and looking inwardly, you know, and working out, you know, what do you want from life to make you happy? You know, that, that's really the, the key bit, isn't it? Absolutely. What's your approach to solving problems and handling tricky situations, whether that's leading an expedition or in other areas of your life? Mm. So in Newland Expeditions, the, the, the business that I run, the, the polar guiding business, we say somehow there's a way, somehow we're going to work this out, even with COVID and trips. Somehow there's going to be a way. <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to make it work eventually. Um, Humour is often an extremely useful one, um, a different way, and also about being flexible. Uh, so saying no one size fits all. People learn in very different way, ways. Different ha people have different needs. Um, and actually, yes, I, I do talk a lot. I do, some, I do listen in between as well, honestly, because I want every experience that I teach or instruct or deliver I want it to be special and I want it to be personal to that particular individual. So I sort of live by the phrase of saying, how would I like them to treat me is how I treat them. Um, I was working with a, another colleague last week with some Duke of Edinburgh students. Uh, and I love working with young people because that's a real opportunity to empower the, um, I suppose, future explorers, shall we say, future adventurers. And it would be so easy for them to be put off by the weight of their rucksack, you know, bearing down and the equipment being incredibly wet and muddy and, and everything like that. But we said, well, in these type of conditions, and they were pretty horrendous autumn conditions last week in the Yorkshire Dales and in the Peak District, we said it's about being flexible. It's about making it an achievable challenge for those individuals. And each one of them has a, a different level that they can achieve. So with your company, Newland Expeditions, mm -hmm. who do you work with? So I work with um, my friend who I met at the North Pole in 2005. <laughs> and his name is Svanta. And I reached the North Pole as a participant on the last degree ski expedition. And I got there and I said, oh, a bit disappointing. I thought I was going to meet Santa Claus. And he says, no, it's Svanta Claus. And I am him. Uh, Svanta is just a brilliant, brilliant friend, business partner, and also uh, I now call him my sort of wingman. He's like a sort of confidence boost for me. So our company has evolved, as companies do over time, you know, in terms of flexibilities and changing needs and everything else. But all the time he's always had that sort of patience and determination to, to teach me the ropes, to... Um, to, to allow me though to develop my own style of managing the company um, to allow me to learn from my mistakes and yes I've made made some along the way because that's how you you learn isn't it but he's he's been a great mentor he really has um, he still works within the business um, but we work in quite different ways so I often describe it as saying 
Svante has this vision, the big picture, very, very much a person who can take in everything that's going on from his um, ex-Norwegian Special Forces background, you know, obviously he's extremely physically fit, and I always used to think I had to be the mirror image of him, and then I realised, of course, very soon on, that no, I bring something different to, to the business. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's... He, he's really given me that sort of support. So he looks at the huge bigger picture of saying, okay, so when we're running trips to the moon and to the next universe, and I'm looking at it on the small nitty gritty detail and saying, now at this particular stop, when we get off the bus at 9.05, we're going to have a latte or we might have a cappuccino. And yeah, it makes me giggle, but it's, it's playing to each of our strengths. And that's what is so, so important, that you value yourself, I think, that you have self-respect. And there, might, there are many, many things that I can't do. There are many, many things that I don't know about yet, that I don't even know that I want to learn yet. But be open to those ideas and also just have respect for myself for what I can do. How have you been staying in touch um, over the past few months? Well, of course, nowadays there's so much luxury of all of these um, Skype and Zoom and team meetings and on the phone and WhatsApp and, and everything else that, yeah, it's, it's hardly distanced at all, is it really? You know, um, when we're on an expedition and all you have is the satellite phone and you have a limited number of minutes and really you're saving that in case you have an emergency to deal with, then I think you you really are sort of at, at peace almost. You're at one with the situation that you're in. Um, we're coming up to a second lockdown tomorrow. Probably my longest journey is going to be something like walking to Bakewell and back. <laughs> it's still a mini adventure. I still love it. You know, you still plan, you know, how much can I fit in my rucksack? How many, how many packets of porridge can I carry up the hill? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, it's not really that much of a sacrifice that I personally have to make with, again with this beautiful landscape on my doorstep but I know that for many people the, the lockdown will be yet another extremely tough time mentally, physically they can't get out yeah income wise it's really not, not good for, for businesses at all but it's, um, it's where we are you know and, um, and it's what we're dealing with at the moment in life but but the communication aspect is so much easier um, when you have Wi-Fi and all the other all the other mod cons that we have. How do you keep in touch with your clients at the moment, the people that you take on these expeditions? So I met up with uh, four different um, participants this weekend, two and a two, um, and we went for walks and we chatted about funny hilarious times that we'd had on the trips and oh did you remember when that happened and did you remember that person and and so on there's always a little story to tell and they always remind me of when I do the reenactment of like a polar bear entering camp and and it's sort of like my little set story you know of like when you're in polar bear country you know this is what we will teach you in terms of safety because safety is number one you know the polar bear is a, a killing machine at the end of the day if it's hungry then it can't decipher between a seal and, and us. And uh, so, yes, reenacting and recounting some of those little stories, keeping in touch by phone, um, just connecting with people, really. Um, but going for a walk is just a brilliant way of doing that. How do you take time out for yourself when your life, when your work is your 
lifestyle? How mm. do you really take time out to relax and detach from all of those things, yeah. those work-orientated things? In some ways, you never detach from it with your own business. As you know, it's, it's always there. Um, and I don't have that sort of strong definition, perhaps, between work and play, which some people have. Uh, I love to plan travel and adventures. I, I just just love it, you know, however big or small the, the challenge might be, or whether it's with friends or whether it's a challenge alone. Uh, I like to do craft activities like knitting and baking. And, um, and I try my best to learn Norwegian. So on the first lockdown, I did learn the Norwegian birthday song. I now sing it to almost everybody when I meet them for the first time, irrespective of whether it's their birthday or not. I'm, I just, I'm just passionate about sharing Norway, Norwegian people, the Norwegian language, just anything Norwegian. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in terms of relaxing, um, I suppose going for walks. If I'm in Norway and the snow's on the ground, then going for a ski. Yeah, I found find a lot of putting things in perspective. Um, comes into play whenever I'm in a big wide open space preferably moorland not coastal not really I can't really understand the sea I've never lived by the sea I've always lived in the middle of the landlocked country the the landlocked county in in England and uh, yeah I need hills I need hills and mountains yeah I'm I'm Norwegians (laughs) (laughs) I find it difficult now to leave the hills to consider visiting my family in Norfolk or (laughs) traveling yeah further south just um, doesn't really appeal to me so much now apart from to see family (laughs) yeah yes (laughs) so um one of my last questions is where do you think that your appetite for adventure comes from It really does come from from my parents. Um, I think they really did inspire me, and, and Mum still does, you know, in terms of saying, do what makes you happy. You know, that was really, really important. Um, I was giving a polar talk, however, locally to a group um, in the Hope Valley one time, and my mum and dad uh, were in the audience. And one of the people in the audience who knew mum and dad as well asked... Um, weren't you frightened you know weren't you afraid that Helen wants to do like a trip like going to the North Pole and mum actually said yes I was very afraid but I'd never stop her because she's like a butterfly you know it'd be like clipping her wings but of course she then went on to say I never realized she'd carry on and on and on doing these sort of North Pole South Pole trips you know and it would become a whole life So, uh, yeah, my parents have been a great source of support for me, I suppose, over the many, many years. So, my absolute last question, maybe. What powerful question would you ask somebody who is thinking about planning a new adventure challenge or becoming an expedition leader? How much do you want it? How much do you really want that dream of yours? So you will have to have a lot of enthusiasm, time, sometimes money. Uh, You might have to be very resilient. Um, Often you don't succeed the first time. I didn't when I applied for a Winston Churchill Travelling Fellowship. I was only successful the second time. And I think you also have to weigh up the level of risk and uncertainty that you're personally willing to accept. 
and how it fits in with your lifestyle. So I've given a few examples of, you know, my life, but that's by no means a sort of set model that, you know, works for anyone else really in the world. I think you've got to find your own path and, and your own route. You've got to put in the hours. There is really no shortcut. Um, learn from people. Surround yourself by people who are experienced and give you the best advice right from the start because there's certainly a heck of a lot of talkers out there who are bigging up, shall we say, what they've done. Um, and that can become a very dangerous place in the, in the outdoors, certainly in more remote and extreme environments. Thank you so much for a great interview. I hope that you can go ahead with your Newland expeditions in 2021. What sort of trips have you got planned? Oh, I've always got trips planned up my sleeve. But um, yeah, it's going to be local stuff again, obviously, in the Peak District for the next um, four weeks whilst we have lockdown. Um, I'll be going definitely up on the hills. I might be walking with one other person, as the government guidelines allow us to do. Um, and then the, the winter so far, so we have planned um, an Antarctic uh, women's team of firefighters, hopefully going down to the Antarctic to do a self-guided trip in 2023. So it's the start of their um, training with us. We then have the winter polar training courses, which we run in Norway, and um, some classic trips such as the Hardanger Vida crossing, the Finnmark's Vida crossing in Norway, all on cross-country skis and pulling a sledge behind. But sometimes that's a bit of a step too far for people to have the contemplation of camping in winter and it's like, oh, it must be so cold. <laughs> um, it's about learning the little tricks and tips that make a big difference. So we also have another trip that we're, we're testing out this first time this year, which will be skiing from hut to hut. Not along sort of marked trails as such, but more sort of exploring into the mountain environments, again in Norway. And then in April we move up to Svalbard and we have the North Pole season. Um, Svalbard's always ah, such a dream of a place, you know. I think out of all the polar places I've been, that's, that's the one that still sticks out a mile. You know, it's a, an absolute gem on the, uh, up at 78 degrees north. So, yeah, hopefully all of that can, can come off, you know, and, and we can make it happen. We're just going to have to see. But as I said, life's short, live your dream, share your passion. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Please see my show notes and blog posts for more information about my guest at abouttheadventure.com. You are very welcome to get in touch with me if you'd like to send us any questions or comments. I'll be back soon with another episode.